Boy, what a blessing to have Rochelle here. Can we encourage her? Rochelle, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Open your Bibles up to the book of James. The book of James, as we go through the whole book, verse by verse, we are learning about faith in the fire, God's plan for your pain. Trials will come. God will allow hardship to enter into your life. Why? Because he hates you. That's why. Get used to it. No. Because trials reveal if you have true faith. Trials then strengthen that true faith. That's why God allows trials into your life. We're learning how to walk through the fire uh, by faith. I read recently that uh, the Olympics are coming to Japan in 2020. And the uh, Japanese Olympic organizers got in giant trouble. You want to know why? Because initial designs for Japan's new national stadium that will host the 2020 Summer Olympics did not include a place for the Olympic flame. (laughs) Here it is. Ooh, the blueprints are ready. Can we take a look at them? Uh, uh, Where's the flame? Oops. You know what I'm talking about? The giant cauldron that they have to light? Somebody's running with the torch for days, then they have to light it to start the Olympics, and they forgot it in the design. And on top of that, they made the roof out of wood in the new stadium. So now they're like, where do we put it? We can't put it here. We can't put it here. Major problem. We've got pictures of the stadium here as they're planning the Olympics. Uh, you can see the wood is like, is like lattice. It's 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 the wood on the roof. Here's another picture. So they have a huge problem they're trying to solve. They forgot the main thing. The Olympics can't even start. And yet it's expected to cost $1.75 billion to build this stadium. Now I share that because there are some churchgoers who have built many things into their lives that makes them look like a Christian. Maybe they go to church periodically. Maybe they own a Bible. Maybe they've attended religious education and gone through religious education services like confirmation or communion or or baptism even. And they've done these religious things, uh, but they are missing the most important thing, which is a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's like missing the Olympic flame. You can't start the Olympics, even if you've built a billion-dollar stadium, the Olympics can't start without the flame. The same is true about your relationship with God. No matter what you've built into your life, no matter what religion you have, if you don't have a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, the fire is not even lit. Nothing has started between you and God yet, and it doesn't matter how much you've spent so far. The passage today talks about hypocrisy. There are those in the church who need to be challenged because even though they're religious, they have stopped short of a full commitment to Jesus Christ. They have not, what the Bible says, they have not died to self. They have not been born again. And they need to be challenged because the kind of faith they are living can't save them. The problem is these people think they're saved. 
But when trials come into their life and life gets hard, that's when they see that they aren't saved. I'm going to pray right now. This sermon applies to everyone in the room because we all will struggle with hypocrisy. But there are some in this room who have heard the truth about Jesus, perhaps for your whole lifetime, and you are not yet doing it. This word is for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that some who came into this room thinking they were saved would get saved. Father, I pray for those here today who have heard the truth about Christ, who know better than to live against it, but somehow they have convinced themselves that they'll be okay, even though they are partially or barely trying to align their lives with what they know the Bible says. Lord, help us when life gets hard, when we're coping with the pressure of temptation, the stress of worry, uh, the fear of rejection. Help us to do more than to include a little religion in our lives. Help us not to try and make ourselves feel better or to try and get you off our back. We pray for better things than that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we are in James chapter 1, verse 21. Here's what it says. It says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This is the last verse we covered last week when we talked about anger, conflict resolution, how to tame the tongue, uh, right? Uh, and we're, we're supposed to be slow to anger, quick to hear, slow to speak. We covered all that last week. The last verse was this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. We're starting with that verse because he continues his thought. All right, but jot this down. Here's the first point. If you want to make sure that you have saving faith and you're not living a double life, write this down. Turn from sin and believe the truth about Jesus. Turn from sin and believe the truth about Jesus. It says here that we need to be saved in verse 21. And how does that happen? By God's word, which is able to save your souls. And the illustration here, receiving with meekness the implanted word, is like you're a garden, your heart is soil, God's word reaches your ears, and does it fall on concrete and bounce off ting? Or... Or is your heart softened up? Is your heart wide open to the Word of God? Does it, does it penetrate deeply, take root, and then most importantly grow up and begin to bear fruit in your life? Has it changed you? Uh, if you turn from sin and believe the truth about Jesus, you're saved. Um, have you reached the point in life where you've said, no more games with God? No more back and forth, no more halfway. I'm all in on this truth about Christ. Has your heart broken wide open for the truth of Christ? Uh, or are you still picking and choosing which parts of the Bible that you will allow to apply? It says here in verse 21, uh, it says here, therefore put away all filthiness. God uses certain words to help us see in our heart what only he can see. See, you can't go to the doctor and say, I'd really like a soul scan. Can you check out my soul and let me know how I'm doing? They don't have that technology yet. Okay, you can check out your back, check out your brain, your knees, 
You know, you can't get a soul scan. But God looks in and sees you, and what does he say? He says, you're filthy. Filthy. Uh, Filthiness is a way God describes your spiritual condition before Christ. Uh, I read this week about something that happens in Westland, Michigan every year. It's called Mudfest. Check it out. These kids are running out into a huge puddle to participate in Mudfest. Look, you can't even see that kid in the front. You see that? It's like she's gone. Here's the next picture. It's, yeah. I love that. Now, now God says, that's you spiritually. That is your need. And then you have a problem because heaven is cleaner than grandma's house before a party. And you show up at the pearly gates filthy. And guess what? You're not getting in here like that. And many people will be turned away at the gates because they're filthy. And heaven is holy. You can't get into heaven with your sin. Great news, though. Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your sins were red like scarlet, you can be washed white as snow. But only Jesus can do that. Jesus can clean up the chemical spill of sin in your heart, but only he can do that. Hey, do you believe with the Bible that you must be saved? That you must be saved by Christ to get into heaven? Do you agree with God's word that your fundamental basic need in life is not to be helped or encouraged or taught or to improve yourself a little each day, but to be rescued? Because that's what the Bible says. It uses the word saved. I preached a message several months ago where I said, hey, Judgment Day is coming. You will stand before God, and there are only two books that will be presented at your judgment. One of them will include the full, comprehensive, unabridged copy, line by line, of everything you have ever done, said, thought, everything that you have not done that you were supposed to do. It will include everything, and notes are being kept even right now on how you're responding to this message. This moment will come up in judgment. That book when it's done, will condemn you to hell. My book, the book of my deeds with my name on it, the book that bears my name when it's all done, I will have to say, guilty as charged. But there's another book. And that book bears the name of Jesus Christ. And when we look in that book, if my name is in his book, then I say, I'm with him, and I get in. If you're trusting what's written in your life to get you into heaven, you'll go, you'll go to hell. But if you trust what's written in Christ's book, then you'll get in. This truth impacted a man in our church. And boy, if you were not at church last week, you missed one of the most precious and amazing testimonies of faith I've ever heard. Dennis Parney got baptized, and uh, I want you to hear how he reacted to this truth that I preached months ago. Check it out. I started attending Harvest last June, and um, something really wonderful happened to me. I've never experienced that in my, in my life. And it was a sermon given by Pastor Ryan. And he wrote it for me, although he didn't know it. But have you ever had that feeling where you, I'm sure some of you have had that feeling, you've left this church and heard a sermon, you felt it was just, it was written for you. And it, it's, just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And I don't remember, I searched and searched, and I don't remember the exact title of the sermon, but it was about Judgment Day. And I really put myself into that story. 
the day that I'm, I was going to go in front of God, our great God, the judge, and basically he's going to say, Dennis, how do you plead, guilty or not guilty? And I'm going to plead guilty, guilty of all my sins. Jesus was there, and Jesus said, Dennis, you're in the book, the book of life. And I looked back at God and said, I'm with him. <laughs> and that's all. When Pastor Ryan said that, something went through my body. I was reborn. And my wife looked at me, and I don't know what she was thinking, but it was an exciting time. It really was. And the, I just wanted to... Um, I wanted to go out to 127th and Harlem and stand in the corner and say, I'm with him, you know, but I didn't, of course. But uh, we, we got in the car. I, didn't, I was so excited to tell her my story in that we didn't even stop for cookies or coffee that day, which I really enjoy. Didn't even get the car started. And she said, Dennis, I've known you a long time. I've never seen that look on your face. I said, when Pastor Ryan said, I'm with him, I knew the Holy Spirit entered in. It was just a wonderful feeling. We went home, and it was weeks after that, that every opportunity I had, I was, I'm with him, I'm with him, I'm with him. And my wife would just smile. She knew the Holy Spirit had a grasp of me. It just, I thank God. I thank, I thank Harvest. You know, Jesus paid a, a big price for my sin. Now today, I am, I'm truly with him. Thank you. Wow. Wow. I'm with him. It's as simple as that. How will you get into heaven? When you stand before the pearly gates, if God were to say, why should I let you in? I'm with him. That's your only hope. That's my only hope. Have you been saved? Have you received with meekness the truth about Jesus that you need a Savior? If so, turn from sin. Believe the truth. The Bible promises that you will be saved. That's the first thing that must happen before if, if you're going to live out the true faith, if you're going to experience God in your daily life, you have to get saved. That's where it all begins. Turn from sin and believe the truth about Jesus. Here's the second point. Jot this down. Don't fake it because, if you're, because you aren't fooling God or others. So now, in verse 22, we read on. It says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, we have one person described in verse 21 whose heart breaks wide open, receives the word of God, and he is saved. Then there's another guy who hears the word of God but doesn't do anything about it. This is a person who has false assurance. This is a uh, false Christian. This is a person who's faking it. And what's frightening is it says here, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
meaning this person has fooled themselves into thinking they are going to heaven. If you ask them, you're going to heaven or hell? Oh, heaven, yeah, I'm a, I've done, I've been, I've heard self-hypnosis. I'm going to heaven. Tricked themselves, but not fooling others and not fooling God. This is the hypocrite. This is the person who's heard the word of God, but they're not doing anything about it. This person is faking it, and they're fooling themselves. They're doing a good job of fooling themselves because they think they're righteous, but they're not going to heaven. Um, Now, we all, just to be honest here, we all battle hypocrisy. There are things that we've all heard in God's word that we aren't doing, right? Are you doing 100% of everything in the Bible that you know you're supposed to be doing? We're all, in a sense, falling short of where we are to be, all right? I admit that freely. But there's, there's people who have stopped short of the foundational truths of the faith, meaning they have not crowned Christ as Lord of their life. They have not fallen on their face and admitted they need a Savior. And stopping short of that is the hypocrisy that will land us out of heaven forever. They say that they're Christian, they say they're religious, but they don't have a Savior. They've deceived themselves. Uh, They're blind to the reality of their own spiritual condition. They might attend church, they might know about the Bible, maybe they've gone through Awana, maybe they even walked an aisle or prayed a prayer, but they've stopped short of full surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, They think they're Christian enough to get into heaven. There's no such thing. Jesus said, if you don't leave all you have and follow me, you can't be saved. It costs us everything. Sometimes people say that Jesus will cost you something, but that's not true. Jesus always costs you everything. And if you have not left your life of sin to follow Christ as Savior, no more games, no more games, then you have false security. You're hypnotizing yourself into thinking you're okay. To the false Christian, faith is like a temporary tattoo that keeps disappearing. Have you ever used those temporary tattoos when you were a kid? You pull them off, put them on your arm, you rub it with a washcloth, right? And then you've got a heart with an anchor through it. And you're tough. You're like a biker, you know, check out my tattoo. (laughs) And then in a week, it's gone. Because it wasn't permanent. Hey, Is your faith in Christ permanent or temporary? Do you you run to church, run to Christ when you need something, and then when the need goes away, so does your faith? It's temporary. It's not permanent. And that faith can't save you. Don't fake it. You aren't fooling God. You aren't fooling others. Well, how do I know if I'm faking it? Well, the book of James goes through six specific different types of trials that can prove if you have real faith. Last week we talked about two of them. We talked about relational conflict. We talked about words, your vocabulary. Those two can help show if there's really evidence that you honor Christ in all of your ways. How's your vocabulary? There was a transcript written of every word you spoke last week. Did Jesus come up? And um, how's your vocabulary? What words did you choose to use in your marriage? What came out of your mouth? Do you know the Bible says that we will have to give an account for every careless word? Yikes. 
And that includes things we text. Uh-oh. Even if you delete them so your parents can't see them, God's got a cloud storage that you wouldn't believe. A cloud as big as heaven is keeping track of everything that you've said. How are your words? Would just this past week of typed manuscript, would there be evidence that you are a follower of Christ or would there be a whole lot of evidence if I read everything you said from this stage that you probably aren't saved? What about relationships? How do you handle conflict in your marriage or with your family or at your work? Or do you blow up like a volcano filled with rage and steamrolling over people? Or or does your heart display that Jesus is living in you and he's tamed your heart and now you're so much more careful with the people around you? Those are two areas you can look at, but there's others. Hey, if you think you're going to heaven but you're an unrepentant thief, you're deceived. If you think you're going to heaven but you lie and hide things from others, you're living a double life and your wife doesn't know or your parents don't know, it, you're deceived. If you think you're going to heaven, but your life is filled with sexual sin, any sex outside of a one-man, one-woman lifelong commitment, you're deceived. You're deceived, and you're only fooling yourself, not others and not God. Some people respond to this by saying, sure, I sin, but I I do a lot of good. I'm adding good that will offer. Uh, balance my, my, my bad, and, and I'm, a, I'm a religious person. Um, well, your chances of getting to heaven through religion are zero percent. You can write that down if you want. You might forget that number after the sermon, so just so that you have it in your notes. If you're a numbers person, the chances of you getting to heaven through religion, doing good religious works, are zero percent. Because you've done sin, and no good thing you can do can white out that sin over there. You can't add good to your bad. It doesn't work that way. Um, Religion says, I can do it. Faith says, Jesus did it for me. The more you work to try and merit God's favor, do you think you're going to go into into the judgment with a sash and show off all the merit badges that you've sewn on this sash? You're not getting in. You can't do enough good. It doesn't get rid of your bad. You remember Dumbo? Remember Dumbo and the magic feather? The magic feather, they gave it to him. Why? Why did they give him the magic feather? So that he can fly. But did the magic feather make him fly? No, it was a trick. They knew he could fly because of his huge ears, but he lacked confidence. So they gave him a feather, and then they said, jump, and then you can fly, right? The feather did nothing. You will soon leap into eternity. If you're holding on to anything other than Jesus Christ, you're holding Dumbo's magic feather. And you won't fly. You will fall. Because only Jesus can save you. How do I know if I'm a true believer or not? Turn from sin and believe the truth about Jesus. And don't fake it. Because you're not fooling God. Take it all in. And follow the Lord as Savior. Hey, no more games with God. No more games with God. It stops today. Now, if we want to avoid hypocrisy and know that we're going to heaven, how do we do it? Well, the first thing is turn from sin and believe the truth about Jesus. The second thing is don't fake it because you aren't aren't fooling God or others. Now, jot this down, number three. This will help us understand if we are faking it. Let God's word change you. Let God's word change you. 
It says in verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. Verse 25, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what we have here is an illustration. A guy walks up to a mirror, and he looks into it, and then he walks away, and he forgets what he saw in there. Given the context, we know what he sees in there, because it says uh, in verse 21 that he is filthy. He's filthy. He looks into the mirror, and he sees filthiness. All right, check this out. These are two guys after a race, and uh, they're helping each other to get stuff cleaned off. It's one of those like mutter races and they're like, hold still, hold still, hold still. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. So imagine looking in the mirror and seeing that and then you're like, looking good and you walk away. What does this portray? This portrays someone who is in denial of their true spiritual condition. They look in the mirror, they see filthiness and they go away. Have you ever had somebody tell you, you've got something on your face where is it? Something on your face. Where? I can't find it. Well, go look in the mirror. You do. You go look in the mirror, and you're like, oh, I got something in my teeth, something in my nose, something on my forehead. You get rid of it right away. So if you are filthy like that, looking into the mirror, and you walk away, that portrays denial. Everyone around you is saying, wow, you don't see how bad you look. Your kids see it. Your coworkers see it. Your spouse sees it but you're like, what? I'm looking great. It's denial. Spiritual denial. All right, so we take the mirror. Uh, look, don't change. That person walked away and forgot what they saw. Now, he uses that to talk about spiritually what happens when a person looks into the law, which is God's word. And, and God's word is portrayed as a mirror. So I look into the law of God and I see myself. I hear what God says, that I need to be saved, that I'm filthy, and I see that, and then I'm like, I'm looking good. And I walk away, not taking the action that the mirror is showing me I need to take. I'm in spiritual denial. I've heard it, but it hasn't done anything to change me. This is denial. Uh, ask yourself this question. How has Jesus changed you? Is there abundant proof in your life that you believe Jesus is alive? Have you told people that publicly? Does it come up in your conversation? And is there abundant proof in your life that Jesus is alive in you? Has he changed you? Now, I know some people will say, well, Pastor Ryan, I, I mean, I don't have a story like you. I was saved in college. You know, I was going down the wrong road and God turned me around. But I, I heard it from when I was a child. So I've always been a Christian. Uh, well, you've always been around Christians, but you haven't always been a Christian. There has to be a point in your life where you take ownership of the grace that God has for you. If that happens, it can happen when you're five. It can happen when you're 95. If that happens, there will be abundant fruit that comes from that. You won't be the same as everyone else in the world around you. Your vocabulary will be different. The way you manage conflict will be different. The way you steward your money will be different. The way you love people who are in need will be different. 
there will be abundant proof. But many people think just because they have some spiritual affiliation, they go to some church or they've attended some class or they've written some report, that they'll be okay. Uh, Being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. It's not the way it works. Something internal needs to happen. Has Jesus changed you? I heard a pastor once say, if nothing changes, nothing changes. It's so simple and it's so true. In your relationship with God, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Has Jesus changed you? Can you talk about virtues he's taught you? You know, when I was saved in college, boy, I didn't know very much about the Bible. God had to go to work. He had to go to work on my eyes. And I noticed very quickly that I was looking at women differently now, out of fear of the Lord. I noticed that my word choice changed, because I knew God was recording what I was saying. My feet changed, and I, they didn't take me to places that I would have ordinarily gone to get into trouble. My hands changed. I began to help people, and my ears changed, and what I was listening to throughout the day was different now. Uh, everything in my life, my thoughts started to change. No more anger, no more insecurity, no more playing out bad scenarios and plotting wickedness. That my thoughts began to change. Has Jesus changed you? It's through the Word of God that He changes you. It says here in verse 24, well, 23, if anyone is a hearer of the Word. Uh, So there's all of these different phrases used to describe God's Word. It says in verse 21, it's an implanted Word, like a seed. It says in verse 23, uh, you can hear the Word and do the Word. Um, It says in verse 25, that it's the perfect law, the law of liberty. Um, Wow. So all these words describe God's word. Now, what exactly does that mean? We have to be clear on that. The law, the word, tells us that all moral truth comes from God. All right? Where do you get your morality? We get it from God. He is the source of all moral law. Well, yeah, but the courts handed out a ruling saying that this is okay. Yeah, okay, prostitution is legal. That doesn't mean it's okay. Just because something is legal in certain places in the United States doesn't mean it's moral. We get our moral law straight from the source of God. We are moral because we're made in His image. Now, God, in many ways, has handed down His morality to us Throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament, he called Moses up on Mount Sinai and he literally handed him the Ten Commandments. God wrote the first copy with his finger and gave it to him. Bring this down, here's the law. Moses walked down to the new nation that had just been rescued from Egypt and he found all this carousing and debauchery. He got so mad, he threw it at him. Anger issues. Then Moses went back up on the mountain and, and God made Moses chisel out the second copy. All right. Learned a lesson there. Man's anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Imagine that, though. Imagine God handing you, chiseled on stone, his will. He did that. That's his law. But the Old Testament law in that form was meant to show us that we are lawbreakers. It's like installing speed limit signs, and we're all going 150, and we're like, "Uh uh-oh. That was the purpose of the law. The law was supposed to lead us to Christ. But Jesus didn't abolish the law. Jesus came and said, I have, what did he say? He said, I have have fulfilled it. So God didn't take the, this is big, God didn't take the moral expectations that 
that are on you and throw them away. He fulfilled them in the person of his son. We love to hear that when we come to Jesus, we're saved from all of our sins. That's right. Our sins are taken away. But listen, this is astonishing. Even better. We are made righteous. Meaning the perfect righteousness of Christ is put into our heart. So that when God looks at us on Judgment Day, you're not going to believe this. When God looks at us on Judgment Day, He sees us as if we have only always done the perfect righteous thing every moment of our lives. But that's not true, right? But Christ is in you. I'm with Him. That's an unbelievable truth. God fulfills the law in your heart through Jesus. Then he goes to work teaching you how to live out obedience that Christ has modeled for you. Jot this down. We are supposed to submit to the perfect law. That begins when you ask Christ to be your Savior. That continues throughout your life when you align your life with God's Word. You should be able to say, I was so, but now I'm. There should be changes of you aligning with God's Word. I love what Jeremiah 31, 33 says. It says this, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law, get this, within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So you know you're a true follower of Christ when God's word isn't something that you resent. Get that book away from me. It's, it's written, like chiseled on stone on your heart been fulfilled and you're learning how to live it out. Wow. Jot this down. Submit to the perfect law and be freed by the law of liberty. It says here that uh, the one who looks into the perfect law, meaning you're submitting to it, the law of liberty. I love that it's called that. This is not the law of bondage. God's a big straitjacket up in the sky telling me everything I can't do, ruining all my fun. No, this is the law of liberty. This is the truth that sets us free from sin is amazing. Jesus paid an astronomical price to set you free. Now, if you're going to appreciate that, you have to admit that you need to be set free, that you're in bondage to sin. If you don't agree with God's word that you are chained and shackled to sin, you won't appreciate what Christ did for you. Uh, my dad wanted to go to a Wild West town for his birthday uh, because he's a kid at heart. So we went to this Wild West town and he got arrested there. <laughs> it's kind of funny. On his birthday, he got arrested. Uh, we got a picture of it right here. Here's my dad getting arrested. Yeah. Do you want, do you want to know what he got arrested for? He got arrested for public nose picking. <laughs> Not kidding. Yeah. They take that seriously back in the Wild West. But there he is, behind bars, and we had to post bail to get him out. Uh, actually, he got thrown in the slammer because at this Wild West town, the grandkids could go in and pay to have Grandpa arrested, so they did that. <laughs> they arrested him and threw him in the slammer, false accusation. It was great. The Wild West, don't judge, we could do that there. Yeah, but he had to be freed, and so he was freed. They actually used a real jail that they, that they had in that county. They brought it here and they used a real jail. That portrays your spiritual condition before Christ. You are tethered and tied and bound, lashed to the mass of sin, and you can't get free. You can't get free. Check this out. This is a horse who thinks that he is really tied up it says something that sometimes the thing that's holding you back is all in your head. Isn't that a hilarious image? The horse is like, I wish I could go somewhere, but I can't. I'm tied to this plastic chair. 
That's you before Christ. You're just standing there, stuck to sin. You can't change, even if you, even if you want to. You can't. Revelation 1.5 says this, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Hey, has Jesus freed you from your sins by his blood? Has he? If he has, that will show up in your life. But if you're continuing this love affair with sin, then he hasn't freed you. Do you know James, James is a straight talker, and he's going to call people who are faking their Christianity, he's going to call them adulterous people in a few chapters. What does that mean? That means that people who think God's okay, that they're in bed with sin, and then they come and see him once a week, are adulterers in God's sight. Put yourself in God's shoes. How does it make God feel when I'm in bed with sin all week long, then I show up on Sunday and tell him I love him? Well, imagine your spouse has been sleeping with someone else every day of the week, then on Sunday they hand you a flower. Here you go. How would that make you feel? Love? That's how you're making God feel if you think you can love your sin and love your God at the same time. He doesn't feel loved. You won't be with him forever, and you're only fooling yourself. Submit to the perfect law. Be freed by the law of liberty. And jot this down. Live for Christ, and God will bless you. Live for him. Not for yourself. Not for your sin. It says here in verse 25, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So you're blessed if you do it. The Bible says again and again that we reap what we sow. And just ask yourself this, in your life, is there fruit coming up from the soil that proves you are living out a love for Christ? I want to act this out here as I close out, just so that this sticks with you. Um, but here's how, here's how I uh, put grass seed down each year. I'm too cheap to buy the push one, so I just get, I just get the handheld one, right? Um, but this is seed, and the Bible says that when we live out God's word, it's like we are sowing seed in our lives, all right? And so I've got two cups in here. This would be a cup filled with sinful choices and actions, all right? Yeah, we could build sin into our lives, into our families, into our marriages, into our jobs. Uh, and then this one here would represent uh, righteousness, following God's law, obeying his word, getting saved and living for Christ. Everyone starts out this life uh, by choosing to sin, right? And if, if all that is in your life is you choosing to sin in your relationships, in your finances, in your marriage, in your relationships, guess what's going to happen? That's going to eventually start growing everywhere you go. I'm sitting here, I'm sitting there, everywhere you go. And you might get away with it for a little while, but then it starts growing up. And then everywhere you look, there's sin growing all around. Oh, you blame everyone else, but it's your own choices. Okay, then when you put your faith in Christ and you start learning God's word and you start turning a corner in your marriage and in your family, right, then you start choosing to do the right thing. And uh, the Bible says then you're going to reap what you sow. So now you start... 
So now you start choosing to do the right thing, choosing to say the right thing. And you're walking around everywhere you go, you're doing the right thing, you're saying the right thing. And uh, sure, we still sin, but what you're going to see is a whole lot more righteousness coming up out of the soil. And, and you just have to ask yourself, based on what you've heard today, if you look around your life, is there enough evidence to show that the righteousness of Christ is in you? Or everywhere you look, are you pretty much the same as everyone in the world? Jesus is challenging you to stop playing games with God. Live for Christ, and God will bless you. I read this prayer recently that's so powerful, and it reflects my desire for you and God's desire for you. And I, I want us to close our eyes right now and bow our heads, and I want to give you a chance to pray and to really invite Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, to stop sowing the seeds of wickedness and to start filling your life with the righteousness of Christ. It says this, All my powers of body and soul are defiled. A fountain of pollution is deep within my nature. Grant me grace to bear thy will without repining and delight to be not only chiseled, squared, or fashioned, but separated from the old rock where I have been embedded so long and lifted from the quarry to the upper air where I may be built in Christ forever.